You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning, church. My name is Chris, and I get the, the privilege and the honor of, of preaching from God's Word this morning. Um, and we're starting a new, a new walk today, a new series, a new journey in the Bible that, um, I don't know, in the lifetime that I've been here at this church, so since 2006, we haven't gone on in this part of the text, in this part of the scriptures. Um, and so before we get into there, I just want you to think about for a moment, have you ever been in a situation or found yourself in a situation that you don't want to be in? A situation that you, in circumstances that are terrible and you wish were not there, that you wish was different than it had been? Well, that's kind of what uh, the people of God find themselves in the situation here. We're starting this new series called The Exiled. The exiled, it's, it's kind of dualistic there. We're talking about the exiled people of God from this section of the scriptures in the Old Testament. And they became the exiled people of God for a reason. It wasn't just happenstance. It wasn't just uh, happened by coincidence or by accident. It was intentional. And it happened because the people of God rebelled against the rule and the command of their God. God was gracious to them, and he provided many things, and he brought them out of the land of Egypt from, from bondage and from the oppression of this terrible Pharaoh and the king, and he brought them into this beautiful place. He brought them out into freedom, into life, into a relationship with them. And then he established that relationship with his uh, coming down to meet with them at Mount Sinai in the cloud and the fire and the smoke, and he said, I am your God, and you are my people. And because of that, here's some standards of what that looks like to be my people and for me to be your God. And we walked through that a little bit here at Red Sea. If you were here when we walked through that over the summer, the the series of the Ten Commandments of what it looks like to have this relationship with God. And then he brought his people into the promised land, this area, this, this land that he had given to them, that he had promised them, that he had said would be amazing and beautiful and great, and that he would provide and walk with them and be there for them. But yet when they got there and God showed up in all these ways, they got frustrated. They looked around them and they saw all these, these other things. They saw all these other people's groups and the way that they did things. And they said, you know what? That, that seems like maybe it's a little bit better. Uh, hey, God, how about, how about you give us a king? Because uh, all these other, these other tribes and all these other nations around us, they have kings, and that, that looks really good. And God said, you know, it's not good for you. I'm enough for you. But I'll give you a king, and it's not going to be as beautiful as you think it is. So God gave them a king, and then in the midst of that, over time, it wasn't good enough for them. And so they rebelled, and they, they showed off to other nations, and they invited them in, and, and eventually it led to a split within the family of God right? It was no longer 12 tribes together living under the blessing and promise of God. They split, and they went to the northern and the southern kingdom, and they, the people of God then were then fighting against each other, right? They were saying, I want more power than you. You're not as good as I am. And then foreign nations came in. And God, although he was patient, although he sent 
the prophets to speak to his people and say, hey, this is not how I have been asking you to walk. This is not how you behave as my people. This is not how you reflect me to the world. And over years and years and generations and generations, God had his, his prophets speak that word to his people. They didn't, they didn't change. They said, oh, that, that sounds good. And maybe I'll say I'm sorry for a moment. But then that over there looks really nice. And so God finally, as a good and gracious and righteous and loving father, said, okay, you've had enough time. Now it is time for the consequence. And the consequence was that other nations came in and they subdued the people of God. They conquered them. They utterly destroyed a portion of the people of God. As they had split, they utterly destroyed them and they are no longer present today. But then they went in and they subdued another portion of the people of God. They ruled them there and they implanted their way of life upon them. But then that wasn't enough. They rebelled. And so then they chained them up and they took them out of that land and they burned their temple that they had built to honor and and revere God. So think about that. You are the people of God. You've been given this promise that has lasted since Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and have gone through all these things and then you find yourself in a foreign land. Your temple, your place of worship to seek this relationship with the Most High God has been broken down to ashes and rock and stone. It's no longer standing. And you could think, what is going on here? Why? What's this all about? And that's where we step in to the story. That is what has happened to the people of God. As we start this series, The Exiled, we're jumping in in the middle of something that has already happened. And today we're going to be taking a look at the book of Daniel. And we're starting in Daniel, we're going to do a few messages here, and then we're going to just go to work our way through the minor prophets all the way to Malachi. And we're going to see different parts of the story throughout it. And I think a big picture question to ask ourselves today and throughout the entirety of it is... What does it look like to be the people of God in exile? More more specifically, we're going to look at this idea of spiritual discernment. To be spiritually discerning is to have a balance of outward and inward circumstances and perspective. There's a dynamic here. In order to exercise spiritual discernment, you have to see the outer circumstances of what is around you And take stock of the inward faithfulness that you're going to express in the midst of that. Outward circumstances and an inward faithfulness. So we're going to be in the book of Daniel, and uh, we're going to look at the first two chapters today. So we're going to take a a higher level look. There's a lot in the book of Daniel that we can can grill down on. Uh, But we're going to be, we're taking a bigger look. And so a lot of the verses are going to be up on the screen. If you want to play the Bible relay and flip back and forth with me, you are more than welcome to open up your Bible to Daniel chapter 1, power up your iPad or pull out your phone and, and follow along. So spiritual discernment is a balance of outward and the inward. The outward and the inward. Daniel is in exile. We jump into this story with Daniel in exile. And they're in some outward circumstances that they didn't want to be in. An outward circumstance that is captivity. As it says in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, 
In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, so this is a king of God's people, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. The people of God were conquered. They were besieged. I don't know if you like to watch uh, war movies at all, but uh, being besieged is not a fun thing. You are utterly destroyed. You have the, the gates of your castle toppled down as you are invaded and conquered. That is what happened here. God's people were conquered by an outside king. But God allowed that to happen. Think about that. God allowed his people to be conquered by an outside king. He allowed them to be captivated and brought out of the land into somewhere else. And it wasn't just like the peasant people, the people that were on the outskirts and just kind of like hanging out. No, it was from the top to the bottom, the people of God, the nobility and the royal family, those that were directly connected to the top of the top in the people of God. The sons and daughters of, of the king himself were brought out into the land that was not their own. They were taken captive by a king that was not their own. Now, we don't have kings and queens and rulers here in our day today, but we do have rules, and we have authorities. We have governors, we have city council members, we have senate leaders, the house of representatives, and we have a president. Now, I don't know which, uh, which side of the aisle you land on, but in this time that we are at in our country, nobody's happy, right? There is tension. There is tension because some people feel captivated and subjugated. Some people feel like this isn't how it's supposed to be. Some people feel frustrated and angry and they want to lash out. And some people lash out because they think they're doing what God is wanting them to do, right? There's an outward circumstances that surrounds us. An outward circumstance that we don't get to make a lot of the choices about. There are things that happen to us that we don't get to decide how they happen or when they happen or why they happen. There are outward circumstances that can take us captive. But not only that, outward circumstances that can lead one to be tempted. Lead one to be tempted. Chapter 1, verses 4 through 5 say, You're bringing in these people, the youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that, he, that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to become educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Think about that. You're ripped from your own land, but then you're told, hey, I'm taking you because you're pretty awesome. 
you know, you're pretty smart, you, you got it together, you're good looking, you're young, you got some things that I want. And so I'm bringing you into this land, and then because I'm bringing you into this land and I see some value in you, I'm going to bring you into my own house. And because you're in my house, I'm going to give you some really good food to eat, some really good wine to drink, I'm going to teach you some more really cool things, I'm just going to, I'm just going to build you up because you're, you're, you're great. Think about that. The temptation that that would be. What might that make you think of yourself? You might think, I'm pretty awesome. This, this is a good situation that we're in here now. Like back home, that, that was rough. We were warring with these other kings and it might not have been great all the time. But here, here they love me. They value me for what I have. They're going to fatten me up with some really good food and some really good drink, and we're going to be celebrating. I'm going to be well taken care of. The temptation to lean into that, to desire what is being dangled in front of you. And then on top of that, there's this encouragement to disbelieve. To disbelieve who you are, to disbelieve what you have held to the majority of your life. Chapters uh, 1, verse 6 and 7 say, Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Taken from your people, taken from your your land, your temple, your place of worship, dangled with these temptations, told you were amazing, and then given new names. And not just any new names. The names that, that these four people had had were names that were to represent their identity as people of God. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah, Yahweh is gracious. Mishael, who is what God is? And Azariah, Yahweh is helper. These are foundational to what they believe, to who God says that they are and who he is in relationship with them. And then they're given different names, names of the people that are in captivity with them. They're given the name Belteshazzar, which means, O lady, wife of the good God Bel, protect the king. Shadrach, I am very fearful of God, or command of Aku, the moon god. Or Shadrach, I am very fearful of God, or the command, um, uh, sorry, or Meshach, I am of little account, or who is like this moon god, Aku. Or Abednego, the servant of the shining one, Nebo. What a reorientation they're trying to put upon them. You are no longer a people of God. You are my people. And because you're my people, I'm going to give you a new name. And because you have a new name, you need to worship this way. You need to fall down at the feet of my idols. You need to fall down at the feet of the one that I worship, not the one that you have been called to worship your entire life. What a temptation that would have been to disbelieve who God had said they are. And I believe that in our time that we are walking at today, we are surrounded with options to disbelieve. 
to disbelieve what the Bible says, to disbelieve who God is, or if there even is one God and one ruler and one king. We're called to disbelieve the goodness of God because there's so much brokenness in the world. And and how can there be a good God when there are so many messed up things that continually are happening around us? With war and famine and death and infection, how can there be a good God? I would rather believe in my, my own abilities, the own things that I can do. I would rather, you know, sit back and and enjoy myself and fill myself up with some Netflix where I don't have to think about anything or grab for a whole lot of acclaim in my job and get a real big paycheck so I can just fill my life with all these toys and abilities to to have fun things. To chase after something else that looks really, really good, really appetizing. To forget who this great God is. That's the outward circumstances that Judah finds themselves in. The people of God, the remnant that is left alive. That's the situation that they find themselves in. Yet that is coupled with they are called to an inward faithfulness. An inward faithfulness where they are supposed to stand in confidence of who they are and who God is. Verse 8 of chapter 1. In the midst of all that, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. In the midst of all that around him, Daniel said, I am confident in who God is. I am confident in who God has said I am. And I'm not going to do things the way that you tell me to do, that I believe, are dishonoring to God. Now, this requires some spiritual discernment. A lot of people might say, well, Daniel was, he was holding fast. He wasn't eating, uh, he didn't want to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. He didn't want to eat food that was specifically the king's. He didn't want to drink wine that may have been grown in the wrong way and, and had been defiled. I only want to eat vegetables. But in this time and in this setting, if the meat was sacrificed to God's, if the wine was grown in such a way to honor the gods, you got to be confident that the vegetables were grown in a way to honor those gods as well, right? And uh, this, this isn't a play for veganism. This isn't a play to only eat vegetables because they're better than meat. Um, praise, God. <laughs> praise God, right? I love bacon. Uh, he was having to exercise some spiritual discernment. We don't know why here, but Daniel took a stand and said... No, this temptation that you are dangling in front of me, it's not worth it. I'm not going to be distracted by that. I'm going to take a stand here, and I'm going to choose something else. I'm going to choose to eat vegetables and fill myself with that. He had a confidence in his God. But not only that, he was conscious of others in his confidence in God. Verse 12 and 14 say, so he, he told this to the eunuch, and the eunuch was a little terrified because Nebuchadnezzar is not a very nice guy. He said, okay, now if I give you just vegetables and you look terrible in comparison to all these other guys that are getting the king's food, that's my head on the line. All right? 
What are you going to do about that, Daniel? Well, Daniel said, test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. So the eunuch listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Daniel was conscious of others in his spiritual discernment. He wasn't flippant. He wasn't arrogant. He didn't be mean about it and shove it in their face. He said, I'm going to take a stand here. And as I'm taking a stand here, I need to realize that this is going to affect other people. And the way that it affects other people, is that, is that beneficial? Or is that a detraction? Is that going to make my God look good? Or is that going to make my God look bad? He was conscious of other people. Are you conscious of other people and where you take a stand for God? Or is it arbitrary things that in the long run don't really matter? There are things that, that have been in the news, specifically in Oregon, of people taking a stand on something that in the long run doesn't really matter. I think of cake baking. Cake baking. There was a couple that went to a baker in Oregon and asked to have a cake bake for them. This baker denied to bake a cake for them because it was a homosexual couple. And he's a Christian. He said, no, I can't do that. I can't bake a cake for you because I don't agree with what you believe in. Does God really care if you're baking a cake for somebody? Regardless of what they believe? Let's be conscious of the decisions that we make. What is that representing to the people around you and the people that you're interacting with about, about God? What does that say? Does that make your God look pretty cool? Or does that make your God look pretty terrible? Let's be conscious of others in the decisions that we make. And not only that, that inward faithfulness then was able to display something it showed and it was able to be seen and found better. Verses 15, 18, and 20, the response that happened here is that at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And at the end of the time, when the king commanded that they come before him, that they should brought in before him, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Regardless of their outward circumstances, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they took a stand. They were conscious of others, and in the midst of that, what they stood up about displayed something about God by the way that they lived, the way that they imaged the Creator. What they reflected was to see that this is better. This is better than the king's food. These, these people are better than the, the best of the best that we have in this area. The enchanters, the magicians, the, the people that were spiritual in the land of, of Nebuchadnezzar. These people of God that we tore from, the, they are better even in this, they're better. When people look at you, do they see and find God to be better? Do they see and find God to be better 
than what is around them, and even what is around you and what you're surrounding yourself with. And then the cycle starts over again. They have to deal with outward circumstances. They're still in the land of Babylon. They're not back in Judah. They're still captive. Verse 2, I mean, chapter 2, verse 2. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. See, King Nebuchadnezzar had had this dream that he didn't know it was about. He was a little worried. He was a little concerned. And because he was the king, he commanded something of his people. He commanded that they come in and that they tell him what his dreams were and what they were about. They were captive to the rule of the king. They couldn't tell him no. They couldn't decide, I'd rather sleep in today. I don't want to get up. Or I have some other responsibilities to do. I need to clean the house. Or I have some errands to run. How about we, we put that on? I got some free time in a couple weeks, king. Uh, can we do it then? No, they didn't get to make the choice because they were captive under a king. And so the king brought them in, and he's talking to his, his great people, his magicians, his enchanters, his eunuchs, and he commands of them, hey, tell me not only what my dream means, but tell me my dream. Read the, read the past and tell me the future, if you're so great. And in the midst of that, there was some temptation that they had to deal with. Verses 5 through 6 of chapter 2 say, they asked, they said, King, the, the, tell, us, tell us what your dream is, and then, then we'll interpret it for you. And the king says uh, to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you, if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. What a temptation that must have been. You are demanded something of you that, that you know inherently is impossible, that you can't do. And then you're given some, um, some consequences. Hey, look, if you can't tell me what I want to know, I'm going to murder you. And not only am I going to murder you, I'm going to burn down your house so that your family is going to be dead too. But if you can tell me, I got some really good stuff for you. I'm going to make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. That house that you live in, it's going to be nothing compared to the mansion that I'm going to give you. What would you do in that situation? How do you think you would respond? Makes me think of uh, the downfall that we had in the economy several years ago with the collapse of the stock market and the collapse of the real estate bubble they were faced with a decision. Do we say the reality of what is going on here? That people are buying houses that they can't afford. That people are doing things that are unhealthy. Or do we let them keep living the dream? We just keep giving them this money. We let them keep owning five houses or six houses. And we just ignore it. 
Do we tell the truth, even though it's going to really suck? Or do we lie? And we're going to get rich off of it. There's a temptation there. There's a drastic temptation there. In your life, when you are faced with a hard circumstance, when you are put in what seems like an impossible situation, what will you discern to do? Will you tell the truth, even though it's really hard and it might be really bad for you? Or will you lie? Because the benefits are much better. Spiritual discernment. There are decisions that we have to make that, that only we can make. God's not dropping a great care package at your front door saying, okay, uh, you just got faced with this decision a couple minutes ago to take this job or take that job. One was going to be really hard and it's going to be really sucky. The other one, you're not going to have to do a lot of work and you're going to get paid really well and your family's going to be taken care of. Uh, this is what you should do. You should take that job. No, it, it takes some wisdom. It takes some discernment. It takes some connection with God and faithfulness. But not only that, they're still tempted to disbelieve. Verses 11 through 13. The thing that the king asks is difficult, they said. And no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. They disbelieved that it was even possible. They had all this belief that there were so many gods out there, a moon god and a a temple god and, and a god of the land, But they said, there's no way there's a God that can do what you're asking of us. It's not even possible. Why would I even think that that could be possible? We find ourselves surrounded by that. Regardless of what area of the country or the state or the city you live in, you get people that look at you if you believe in this God and say, you're crazy. There are a lot of other options out there. A lot of other options that aren't as hard. A lot of other options that might lead to some more benefits. A lot of other options that could be easier on you and on your family or on your friends. What you're asking is impossible. How could I believe in one God in one way? You're tempted to disbelieve. But then the pattern continues. You're called to inward faithfulness in the midst of the circumstances that you find around you. A confidence to stand on who God is. Chapter 2, verses 16 through 23 say, And Daniel went and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Before he even knew what the king's dream was, what the answer was, he stood up and he said, I'm going to be confident that my God's going to provide. I want to, sp- I want to get some time on your calendar. I'm going to come and talk to you. I don't know how God's going to show up, 
but let's meet face to face. And then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knows those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells in him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. What confidence that is in this faithful and loving God. To go before the ultimate authority that can squash you or bless you when you don't know what to say and ask for time to get face to face. And then he doesn't just do that. He doesn't just walk in there on his own confidence. He stands on the confidence of God. He goes back to his boys. He goes back to his friends, to his companions, to his family that he's brought into this relationship with and says, I'm meeting with him, but I don't know what's going to happen. Together, let's fall at the feet of God and cry out to him for his provision. Let's say, God, we know that you are better and that you can provide. We know that you are better and that you can show up in this moment. And praise God that he does, right? They sought after the Lord. And then after God answered, he didn't just get up and run out and be like, hey, King, I know what, I know what you need to know. I know what's going on. No, they sat there and they praised God for his provision. They praised God for his faithfulness. They blessed the name of the Lord. And not only that, then they recounted back to God who he is, who he was, that he was the most mighty and powerful person and creator God in all of the world. That he was able to set up kings in their place that he was able to make the crops grow and die, that he was in control of everything. And then they praised him again. The confidence in this God, in this faithfulness of who would show up. And then they were conscious of others. 2.24 says, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Think about that. He's in this land that's not his own. He's subjugated to a king that is not his king, that is a ruthless, terrible king who has killed and slaughtered his people, destroyed his temple and his way of connecting and relating with God. What an opportunity here to grab at some power. What an opportunity here to get rid of some of your enemies. The king's men, he's going to kill all those people anyways. Why should I save them? 
I should look out for my own skin. Daniel was conscious of others. He went in before the king, the king's assistant, and said, I know what the king wants, and I will tell him, but don't kill all these other people too. They deserve to live. I think subtly, this is a call to evangelism. We as the people of God have been given an answer. We have been given a way. We have been given a good news about who this creator God is. We're to be conscious of others around us. We're not to just walk into our house or go to our job and think, I'm good, too bad for that guy. It's going to be really rough for him in the end. Are you conscious of others around you? When you're making the decisions with your life, when the job that you choose, when the place that you choose to live, the things that you post online, the friends that you hang out with, the interactions that you have, are you conscious of others in the midst of that? Or do you just think of yourself? God is calling you to be conscious of others, whether they believe or not. Are you being conscious of others? And then in the midst of that, it is seen and found better. Verses 27 through 30. And Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days. Your dream and the visions of your head he has laid in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as far as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. It was seen and found better. Daniel went in before the king and he didn't puff himself up. He didn't stand tall with his chest puffed out or wear some fancy clothes. He went in there before the king and said, I know the answer to your question. Even though it's impossible to know the answer to your question, all these great people that you've surrounded yourself with, even me, you've put me in your temple court to be an advisor to you. I, on my own, cannot answer your question, but I know who can. The God of creation can answer your question. The God of all that there is can answer your question. He went in there, and he displayed not himself, he displayed God. And God was seen and to be found better. He didn't puff himself up. He didn't display his own abilities. He didn't thank God and then put him in his pocket and walk in and do his own thing. He displayed God so that God could be seen and found better. And this was, this was a terrible king that, that God talked to directly. But in order for him to understand what God was saying, he needed a godly person around him. We have outward circumstances that require 
and inward faithfulness. And we're ending the same way. Still, more outward circumstances. Verses 32 and then 38 through 41 say, as Daniel is interpreting this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar, he tells him what the dream is, an impossible thing, and then he is to interpret the dream to him. He says, the head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze. Then in 38... And into whose hand he was given, wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them. He's saying, God has put you in this place. He's made you great. He's made you powerful that you can subdue all these things. You are that head of gold on this statue. You are the tippy top, Nebuchadnezzar, bright and shining and beautiful. But another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. There shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with a soft clay." an outward circumstance of captivity. He was going before this king. What a terrifying thing to go before this king and then tell him, your reign's going to end, but it's not just going to end because you die. You are going to be subjugated. You are going to be conquered by another ruler that's going to come in and devastate you. And then they're going to be devastated. And then they're going to be devastated. And this cycle's going to continue on and on and on of people continually being placed in captivity. I wouldn't want to walk in before a king and say that. Even though it's true, it'd be hard. We here in our day, we're captive in a lot of ways. We are captive in a lot of ways. Does Does this feel like a good place to be in? If you're honest with yourself, We've got a lot of technology. We've got nice houses. We've got good food. We've got nice communities. Is this a great place to live? When you, when you boil it down, do you have no desires anymore? Do you just have everything you need? You're perfectly content and complacent? No. There's a longing for more. There's a longing for something greater because you are still captive. Now, the people of God were brought into subjugation because of sin. They rebelled against God. They turned away from him. They ran from his commands. We, too, are captive because of sin. But not because of sin that we've committed. If you were a Christian, it's not because of sin that you've committed. We are held captive in this place because it's not our home. Portland, Oregon, if you are from here, is not your home. St. John's is not your home. The state of Oregon is not your home. And because it's not your home, you're captive here. You're longing for something more. 
You're unsettled regardless of what the situation is around you, good or bad. But there is more. There's an inward faithfulness that allows us to be confident in God. Verses 44, chapter 2 say, as he continues to, to tell him and interpret, he says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. It shall stand forever. Do you long to be in a kingdom like that? Do you desire to be in a kingdom that will last forever, that will never be overturned or subjugated again? As the people of God, that is what we are promised. We have a great high king who came down in the person of Jesus Christ and lived on this earth a perfect life. He walked around healing people and casting out demons and restoring relationships and pointing people to something that was amazing and beautiful and good. He started to establish a kingdom on earth. He gave the people a taste He gave them a glimpse that would cause them to yearn and long and hope for more. Because that was not their home. Their home was somewhere else. God is coming back. If you are a Christian and you believe in God, you believe that God is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to bring his kingdom forever not a temporary thing, not a just here and now for a few moments sort of thing, forever. He's going to conquer every rule, every authority, every broken part of this world, every sickness, every pain, every, every heartache. And he is going to renew it. And he's going to make it beautiful. That's what we long for. That is what we can be confident in as we are living in exile here, as we are living in a place that is not our home, we can be confident that there is a home waiting for us, prepared by an amazing Heavenly Father who is just waiting, waiting to welcome us in, to crawl up into His lap and rest in His arms. Let's live with that confidence. Let's live with that faithfulness inside of us and the way that we interact with one another. And let's do it so that God can be glorified, so that God can be seen as great. And that's how this section ends. Verse 47 says, after, after Daniel had said all this to Nebuchadnezzar, he'd given him some truth that was going to be hard for him to stomach and displayed the beauty of God, Nebuchadnezzar said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Daniel, in the midst of his outward circumstances and whatever was going on around him, even though it was shifting from time to time, he was faithful to God. 
And as he was faithful to God, he displayed a beauty of who God is. And God was glorified and seen to be beautiful. Church, let's be that people. Let's be a people that have been so touched by God, that have been so loved by God, have been so renewed by God, that in the midst of captivity, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of an urge and push to disbelieve all these things, that we stand faithful and say, God is beautiful. God is beautiful. And I'm going to show that to other people with the way that I live faithfully to him. Let's be spiritually discerning people because we long for and we love this God who is beautiful. And as we finish, we get an opportunity. We get an opportunity to come before the communion tables. We get an opportunity to respond as Christians and say, man, this beautiful God came down as a person, Jesus, and he sacrificed for us that we could be rescued, that we could be healed, that we can be brought into a relationship with him. And if you're not a Christian in this room, this is also an opportunity to come before these tables and say, God, you are more beautiful than I could ever imagine. And I'm not, and I need you. And so come to these tables and realize the body that was, that was beaten here, the body that was hung on a cross, and the blood that was spilled out to wash you anew and to make you white as snow. And if you're uncertain about coming up here, we have people in the back that can pray for you. Doug is back there today, and he would love to pray for you in celebration, in anguish, in difficulty, in suffering, in questioning. Let's be a people who come to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are good. We acknowledge that our outward circumstances aren't always good. A lot of the time, if we think about it, they're hard, they're rough. It can be tricky to make choices and make decisions. But God, you have provided a way for us to seek after you. You have provided a way that we can be in relationship with you, and that is through your son, Jesus. Help us to be faithful to that. God, help us to be a people who, because of what you have done, because of the way that you have filled us with your spirit, because of the amazing Father that you have given us in heaven, that we see you to be beautiful, and we display that with the way we live our lives, regardless of what is happening around us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.